Hello, everyone. Welcome. Uh, there's no, really no need to clap because that sets a uh, massive expectation then, and I don't want to let you down. <laughs> so it's really difficult for me to um, create a, uh, a title for a sermon because I feel that's quite limiting. So um, I've picked a general theme of um, community, and I chose this because Cleve House really is the place where um, I feel community, and I've developed my spiritual life and had my first experiences with God. But let me tell you a bit about myself and how I got to that point. So my dad is Japanese, and my mum is Italian. Do you want to give a wave? <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Fobby, I didn't realise you were my dad. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I spent the first six years of my life in Japan, and um, I had a really happy childhood there. Um, every morning, me and my grandmother would go to our Shinto shrine in the house, uh, welcome our ancestors to start the day, offer some food, and ring the bell. And for me, this really gave me um, a good understanding of the spirit world, obviously in terms of um, a childish understanding. But looking back, that really was the building blocks of my faith. And I love doing those rituals and um, starting my day with, with that. And I really feel connected to my grandparents because of that. And I feel like they're my anchor point to my history and my lineage. Uh, you start school in Japan when you're seven. And my mum didn't want me to go to school in Japan. She probably realised I couldn't deal with the pressure. So um, we moved back to Wales. And for me, that was a really difficult time to come to Wales. First of all, a lot of people ask me, you've got an Italian mum and a Japanese dad, why are you in Newport? And I get asked that a lot. But it was very difficult for me to, to move to Wales. The culture shock was massive, and I felt like I didn't fit in. My, the friends around me were living, um, how do I say, very materialistic lives, very empty lives, and I felt like that lacked meaning. And I struggled to fit in with my peers, coming from an understanding of um, spiritual reality, and being raised in um, a part, partly religious uh, home. So this was incredibly difficult. But every summer and every Christmas, there would be uh, workshops here in Cleve House. Um, if you like, getaways for the youth, where we could come, we could share our experiences, play games, listen to lectures. And I used to fall asleep quite a lot during the lectures. I wasn't the most academic um, member of these workshops. But I have great memories being on this field here uh, Uncle Mike Stout used to do the games for us. Um, I believe he's in North England at the moment. But uh, my favorite game was called Juggernaut, where you'd get this medicine ball, you'd fill it to the brim with water, and the, you'd be split in half, um, all the workshop participants. At the time, there was about 100 of us, possibly even 120. You'd split up, and the objective was to get this giant medicine ball filled with water to the other side of the field. Uh, there was only two rules. Number one was to enjoy yourself, and number two was to pick up the other person once you knock them down, so you can knock them down again. But these games are absolutely brilliant, and when I was playing these games and sharing with my fellow peers, I really felt a sense of community. I really felt a sense of belonging and um, worthiness. So in fact, it's quite painful to look out now and see that many of my peers and people who I shared these brilliant experiences with uh, aren't with us, aren't part of the community. Um, and in fact, have abandoned faith completely and abandoned God completely, which is uh, a real tragedy. 
So that's why I chose this topic of community. And there's many reasons why people might um, choose different paths or wander away. And one that I've identified is disengagement. I think that lots of organizations, um, lots, lots of charities, and lots of other churches are facing this issue of disengagement, where people get so busy with their lives, so focused on career, so focused on um, everyday living, uh, developing their property portfolios, or developing their education, developing their financial status, that things that are important then get um, shifted away. And during my Bible study, I wanted to share this story. Um, it's not usually associated with this um, disengagement, but I really like it. And this story is uh, the parable of the, the evil farmers that Jesus told. So the way this parable goes is that there was a, a wealthy landowner who would produce the best wines and he would have the best luscious fruits and the most delicious grapes. He had the finest equipment to produce these wines and to harvest uh, this fruit. But he had high walls and um, he had his secure unit and he decided to move away. So he left his farmers and workers in charge of, of his land and his business. When it was time for his uh, delicious fruits to be harvested, he sent three of his servants there. The farmers on the farm thought they knew better and they brutally beat one of the servants, they stoned another and they murdered the third servant. The landowner, confused by this, but determined to try and receive his, uh, his fruits and to maintain his farm, sent a larger group of servants there, and they met the same fate. In the end, uh, his, the farmer decided to send his own son because he thought that um, the, these other farmers would listen to him. His son was also brutally murdered then, and uh, the farmers revolted, and they, they took matters into their own hands. So Jesus told this story to ministers, and he said, when the owner of the vineyard returns, what do you think he will do to the farmers? The ministers at the time said, he will put the wicked to a horrible death and lease the vineyard. Jesus replied, didn't you ever read in scripture, the stone that, build, the, stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is wonderful to see. So hopefully today I'm going to outline three things that we can do to become the cornerstones in our community and to become uh, the pillars of uh, our wider community, not just members of FFWPU, but members of uh, a global society, a holy community. The first point I'd like to share is that of connecting with people. Um, it's a bit of an oxymoron to be digitally connected in this day and age, and it's really sad to see that when people take photos, they need to edit it, they need to put filters on, and they need to consider how many likes that they'll get before posting the photo, and that um, they measure their self-worth based on social media and how this digital community perceives people. So when I talk about connecting, I'm talking about physically connecting with people like we are today. The atmosphere is so much stronger, we're stronger together, and that human beings have a, a longing and a desire to, to belong and be together and share. So it's really important that we connect physically. Um, it's not enough just to send a text, a phone call, an email. Um, myself as a pastor, I'm trying to move away from that, having a call-in list and ensuring um, everyone is emailed or called, then repeating that. I think we need to go beyond that and develop our relationships physically and in person so people feel valued and that people can feel more worthy. So in fact, I'd like to take a few minutes now to um, talk about someone we've been working very closely with in Wales. 
Her name is Sujatha, who has um, created her own charity called the Mentor Ring, which is a very clever pun. And Sujatha's aims is to empower the community. She's based in Butte Town, which um, has a lot of marginalized groups in Wales and can see some economic deprivation there. And I haven't communicated so much with uh, Sujatha in the last few months, so I'm guilty of not having this human contact. So I'd just like to welcome up Sujatha to give a few words and for me to give her a gift to say thank you for supporting Family Federation in Wales and Women's Federation in Wales. Thank you, Elliot, and thank you, Oliver. It's lovely and amazing to see all of you here. As Elliot said, I am a founder director of a charity called The Mentor Ring. Ring is about connecting people from different uh, aspects. So we have a ring of mentors from different countries, ring of mentors who give counseling services, and we have referrals coming from council and other places. So what we do basically is we try to get people referrals and connect them to a mentor. We train people on mentoring skills. We also have mentoring activities and have been associated with World Fed Federation of Women's sorry, Women's Federation of World Peace. That's how I know Ruby and I met Elliot. So if you want to know more about the details of how we set it up and a bit of myself, I have been widowed at a young age. I've got two daughters. I moved to, from India to Wales, as Elliot said. It was very new to me. I, don't, I did not have any family or still don't have any family uh, in Wales. Um, I wish I had a mentor when I arrived with my two young daughters. They were very young. Um, that's why I set it up to make sure that others don't suffer like I have suffered and I had to make through my life as a single mom to bring up two daughters in this UK, in the UK. So I have two daughters now. One is a postgraduate in mathematics who is here today and the other one is a hospital pharmacist working in London in Guy's and St. Thomas Hospital. So I'm very proud of them. I want to be like a role model to people that you're not alone. I love the song Lean On Me which connects to what we do at the Mentor Ring. And I believe in connecting people face to face. And COVID had really taught us many things. You're not alone. And we can do as much as we can. Each one of us are strong enough. It's just that you need a mentor to pull you and let you know who you are. And only then you can help others and you can be stronger and reach higher. Thank you very much. Wow, thank you so much. I think she should give the rest of the sermon, in fact. <laughs> but um, she highlighted some really good points, and Sujath is a very inspiring figure, um, arriving in a new community and really striving to grow that community and not just participate in it, but um, to be active and to, to really develop the environment around her into what she wants to see. Uh, the second point I want to share is about praise. Um, I believe that praise is so important for developing our community. And that goes beyond just saying well done to someone, but to encourage others. Our encouragement breeds hope, and we need much more hope within our communities and within our lives. And an important part of encouraging others and having hope is really understanding each other's fears and needs. We all have fears, uh, things that scare us. Even though in job interviews, you might say, um, 
I'm only scared of making 150% of my targets. But deep down, there's this fear there, and everyone has barriers um, to experiences and barriers within their lives. So as a community, we need to understand that we have these barriers and we need to encourage each other. Within the schools I've worked in, the, the best ethos and the best environments are those where people are working collaboratively, people are working towards a common goal, and that can improve then outcomes and efficiency then. So if we want to develop as a, a community and a, and a wider community beyond Family Federation, we need to start understanding each other's needs and trying to work towards meeting those needs. I had a very beautiful experience on Thursday. Um, I've, I've had a bit of a difficult, rough few weeks at the moment. We had um, the passing of Aunt Joanna, as many of you know, and um, me and Kyan have gone through some things, but um, I won't share because uh, she would crucify me otherwise. But um, I think things have been a bit difficult. So I was speaking to Uncle Bernard on Thursday. He said, just go for a walk, Al. So uh, I took his advice and I just went for um, a long walk about three, a three hour stroll through the mountains and I was feeling quite low. So I said a prayer, which went something like this. I'm really sorry, God, um, I'm not feeling so great. And uh, you know, I try my best to support you, but in this moment, uh, I don't feel I can. And I apologize for that. But can you give me strength to um, prepare the talk for Saturday and to carry on trying to lead the community? And um, I carried on walking, um, almost uh, feeling quite meditative. And then when I looked up across the, the Welsh valleys and I saw this giant cross uh, illuminated with white lights and LEDs. And I was literally in the middle of nowhere. So I was so surprised to see this, uh, this church in the middle of the nowhere, which has um, paid for lights to be on the cross and for the lights to be illuminated 24-7. Uh, because they were still bright at the time. And I felt so much love and so much guidance from God there. Um, almost like a cuddle to say, it's okay. Yeah, you have fears, you have challenges, but I'm encouraging you that you're on the right track and uh, things will be okay and you can keep going. So I really feel that we need to be there for each other and uh, to be there for God as well and to develop our relationship with God intimately. Uh, the third point I'd like to share for us to develop and grow as a, as a wider community is that of accountability. Now, I'm not just talking about uh, targets, um, our tithing goals for the month, or um, our goals in terms of the national strategic plan. Um, don't worry about that. Dr. Mike Balcom is hot on me with my, uh, my targets and goals. But I'm talking about helping each other reach our goals and knowing where the other person needs to be and how they should get there. And one of my best friends, Michael Klotz, is really good at this. Do you want to give a wave, Michael? I can't see you. Okay, uh, Michael's been uh, my best friend for a really long time and uh, he's been there for me. And Michael's really good at keeping me accountable. He probably doesn't realize this, but um, me, Peter Kong and Alex Stacey have a, a marketing company, which we set up in January. And Michael's constantly asking me when our next meetings are, uh, how the meetings went, what were the results of the meetings. And he, be, and he's, and he makes sure he follows up with me then a week later when I see him. He says, so uh, have you met your targets? What commission are you on? How did that meeting go? I really appreciate that because he keeps me accountable for, for my work and he keeps me accountable for my own growth and my own development within my life. And I've been guilty of not doing this for others as a, as a pastor and as a leading role of the community, um, just giving messages or notifications, but not going deep enough to try and get to people where they need to be and where they want to be. 
which I think is really crucial and important for developing our holy community and developing a wider community to understand that everyone is on a journey and we have a role to play to get them to the end destination on that journey. I was reading some business books, I can't remember them off the top of my head, but a common theme within them is that if you want your productivity to increase, if you want your sales to increase, you need to be helping your customers more actively and helping your colleagues to see better results. And it seems kind of selfish that you'd go out your way to, to help others. But we know that uh, positivity breeds positivity and then there's no room for negativity there. So I'd like to encourage, encourage us to be accountable, not just for our own success, but for each other's success. Uh, Aunt Barbara kindly gifted me this book, uh, Blessed Behind the Iron Curtain. Are you here today, Aunt Barbara Stacey? Okay, they're free advertising for you. Um, a really, really inspiring book about her experiences being in Poland during the time of uh, communism. And I'd like to read you an extract. The chapter is called Love Finds a Way, which is a, a br brilliant title for the chapter. It was the end of summer 1982. The author authoritarian government still restricted everyday life. Communist propaganda filled the airways, as did censorship. After protesters were killed in August, the national atmosphere grew even more depressing. Despite the autumn harvest, the shops remained empty of foodstuffs. Some bigger shops only sold vinegar and tea, causing the black market to thrive like never before. Many Poles, feeling hopeless, emigrated during this period. Those who opposed the government were often detained or carried on struggling against the state in small groups by organizing anti-communist marches, managing underground universities, and distributing pamphlets uncovering the regime's lies. However, after our bicycle condition, our community witnessed healthy spiritual changes in our lives. We discovered that focusing on personal empowerment was energizing. I've, I have fond memories of apple and plum picking adventures in a local orchard and making jams from the fruit. We also visited people who showed us that one does not have to feel trapped by oppression. I became more confident in forming friendships at work and as a group, we became more and more involved with our neighbors and the community around us. We felt inspired to start working with the local parish priest. The Catholic Church nurtured the Christian faith and gave hope to believers after the initial shock of martial law. My village had a priest to help the youth deal with the reality of new restrictive rules without openly criticizing the authorities. Helping them feel they could act decisively rather than just languish in criticism was a way forward. We learned that our Catholic Church was an oasis of freedom where some young people could meet and prepare to become agents of change one day. So I would encourage you today is for us to be agents of change uh, within our communities and to make the difference. Thank you very much.